Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of the Having a Mouthful podcast. Today we are joined by actor and a fantastic friend of mine, Sean Maxwell, and we're going to be talking about BDD, forgiving the demons and nurturing the inner child. Just to start, Sean, I want to ask you why you decided you wanted to talk about this subject in particular. Um, it's, to be honest, it's not something that I've really visited for a long time. Um, mainly because it happened, well, it's, it's, it's a thing that you constantly live with really, but, um, it was most intense for me when I was ages like 14 to 17. And it's, it's not something that people widely spoke about, but I think, I think it's pretty common, like one in 50 people have it. And I, I just think it's an important thing to explore. Um, and I just want to tell my story, really. Um, yeah, I, that's actually crazy that you've said that. That's quite a lot of people that yes, have it. It really is. For something that's just... I, I remember when I had it and um, I went to research it and literally I got one obscure book out of the library and that was it. And that was it. And it's something that... It's, it can be really debilitating mm-hmm. for some people and because it's not spoken about it goes unrecognized and it's often misdiagnosed as simply anxiety and depression which of course are linked to it mm-hmm. and OCD as well but um, I, it's really important for it to be taken seriously and for the person not to be just seen as obsessive or vain um which is often the misconception and often why people go undiagnosed because they're too ashamed to admit that their appearance is causing them so much anxiety mm-hmm. but it's ironic really because that's what our society is driven by it's we're very much focused to put uh, very much sorry um encouraged to put focus and um get validation from the way we look and um uh, there's like a comparison culture yeah like a a need for us to compare ourselves to one another and be in competition it's a real it's a real double-edged sword because like of course the more people know about it the more people will realize right i've got something legitimate that can be treated but then obviously like it's it's a horrible place to be in because you don't want more people to have it because it's horrendous and it's debilitating and it, it just it feels like something in your life that should be so insignificant and unnecessary but it just becomes the most significant part of it yeah um also i want to before we like really get into the nitty-gritty i want to just put out a little disclaimer Um, to anyone listening like if you think that this might be a triggering subject I would say proceed with caution because of the things we're going to be talking about Um, but if you're interested stick around Uh, like as I say no one used to speak about this like no one talked openly about mental health when I was younger I don't know whether that's just the circles I moved in or, or or whether I or whether it just wasn't spoken about as much, because I feel like like you get vloggers talking about it now, you get celebrities openly talking about it. Um, 
at least in a non-toxic way like there was obviously discussion of it when I was younger but it was very toxic um and remember guys I'm not a professional I can only speak from my experience uh, which is like white cis woman and I was lucky enough to have parents who really understood that that there was something wrong with me and that it was a, a valid anxiety and um I, I managed to get help and I, I acknowledge that not everyone is in that position. Mm. Um so yeah, just a little disclaimer there. But I find it so interesting as well that there's there's people that will just be like, Oh, I feel like everyone's got a mental health problem now. And it's like I don't think yeah. that's true. I think that it's just the fact that people are talking about it. Um and sadly oh, a lot of people do have mental health problems. Um they do. And, you know, there was just so much shame that come with talking about it. Um, you know, it's kind of an, an invisible condition. People just assume that you're completely fine when you're not and you're struggling. So I think it's actually a really good yeah. thing people are talking about it now, for sure. Yeah, I completely agree. And, like, of course, many of us have mental health issues because we are this, um, we are this monkey brain in a body in a world that is not made for monkey brain it really messes with us <laughs> and there are a lot of pressures and a lot of like societal concepts that we need to get our heads around and yeah sure we've we've developed since like since the caveman time <laughs> i don't know what you call it but um the more we normalize the struggle and normalize not just like making do and carrying on then the better the, the better it can get you know um and i'm i'm really happy that it's something that's being spoken about now like um i'm not don't get me wrong i think it's still an issue i think there's still a lot of shame particularly around um men talking yeah. about their mental health but um it's a start it's a start. It's a lot better than it was when I was younger. And um, I would have been so grateful for the kind of like mental health networks we have nowadays. I mean, as I say, I don't know whether I just wasn't looking in the right places, but um, I just, I felt like an alien. I felt like such an alien when I was a teenager and I was struggling with all sorts. I had really bad mental health. I had, um, had OCD. I had uh, obviously the uh, body dysmorphia and i had generalized anxiety i was agoraphobic i was socially anxious these are all things that that often accompany bdd when it's in its um worst form um so i was i mean i call myself a bit of a basket case but um i genuinely felt like i was the only one yeah and i felt really silly and um and i remember like going for treatment wasn't spoken about either like I remember telling someone who was quite a close friend of mine at the time, I probably about like 13, 14, that I was going to therapy and she laughed at me. It was on MSN, so she wrote, ha ha. Like, <laughs> classic. <laughs> classic MSN. Like me with my song lyrics and my screen wow, name. We love it. We love it. <laughs> <laughs> what a throwback. <laughs> yeah, like... What do you think started this with you? Do you? Because what I really want to try and understand is if it's something that just kind of happens within you or mm. it's kind of like external pressure and circumstance that can kind of 
or a comment that can kind of spur this yeah. control? Well, that's a really interesting question. And um, I'm not sure I have like a defining moment where it kind of where it kind of clicked for me. I think it was like a really gradual realization that there was something going on with my brain. I mean, basically what they think is that body dysmorphia is somewhat genetic, um, but it depends on a lot of um, environmental triggers as mm. to whether you suffer from it. Um, but basically it, it really affects how you process information um they think people with bdd process um facial features differently from those who don't um and they look for details it's almost as if they're um they think it's genetically predisposed and certain environmental triggers will mean that you end up suffering from um body dysmorphic disorder and you're again genetically predisposed to have an overactive visual system Mm -hmm. So basically, um, when you're looking at facial features, you see them differently to how people without BDD see them. Um, and you, you really hone in on the detail and you hone in on the detail to such an extent that it becomes out of proportion with the rest of the face. So like you, a person with BDD might look at their pores and see that they've got an enlarged pore and to anyone else that would be undetectable but to them it is glaringly obvious mm -hmm. um so going back to your question as for a defining moment which triggered the whole thing i can't necessarily pinpoint one i do remember i was quite interested in photography and filming and I, I spent a lot of time alone. So I was my only subject. <laughs> so I remember filming myself one day and thinking, God, is that really what I look like? And I already had like really bad self-esteem, spent a lot of time alone, like was very socially anxious. So I, I, I wasn't feeling great to put it bluntly. And I think all of these cul things culminated and kind of channeled themselves into an obsession with the way I looked um particularly well the thing is with body dysmorphia you will hone in on a certain feature maybe on your face or on your body that is undetectable to other people but to you it's like the most glaringly obvious thing on your face um, and mine was my eyes like the distance between my eyes the size of my eyes the size of my eyes in relation to my nose like even saying it now it feels so ridiculous but I remember looking back at the footage that I'd taken and thinking god is that really what my eyes look like and I just could suddenly see so many flaws around them and i think that's where that's what kicked it off and all of a sudden i was i was spending hours a day looking in the mirror like i was comparing myself with other people i was searching for images of people that i knew had the features that i wanted so i was obsessed absolutely obsessed with like I remember back then like the real like pixie doll like look was in vogue in terms of like supermodels so I would look up 
supermodels with like huge eyes and like people who had completely different faces to me but I considered them I could consider them more worthy because they had these features that I really wanted um and I think that's that's where it all started and it just so happens that I am the type of person who looks at detail in a very specific way and and it it just as I say it all culminated in this obsession yeah I think the hard thing as well with BDD is that there are constant triggers I feel like mm. it's something that you're constantly having to to battle and be aware of um and it's like something you sent me the other day that was on Twitter and that was mm. about the distance between your eyes and you were like oh god like yeah <laughs> triggered and like absolutely yeah, and it's crazy. Like, it, in one way, it's it's nice that you can be more lighthearted about it now and be like triggered. But I also knew when you said that you you definitely meant it at the same time. Like, brilliant. Here we go. Uh, this is exactly the problem. Yeah, because it was it was about um, it was about the Queen's Gambit and Anya Taylor Joy, who has like these beautiful, big, open, very wide set eyes. And I noticed like people don't notice shit like that, but. Um, so people don't notice stuff like that, but like, I do, I do. So I really identified with that post um, because um, that, that's just the kind of detail that my mind really latches onto. And it's not in a judgmental way now, like whereas before when I was really in the thick of it, I would look at people and think, oh, they, they have really wide set eyes. I really want that, blah, blah, blah. Now it's very much something I just notice and I take it in because mm. I'm naturally predisposed to do that. But like, I don't, I don't necessarily mull over it as much anymore. Um, but you're right. Yeah. Your, your trigger is other people and like, you can't help but be around other people and look at other people's faces. Like I would be, I would be in therapy and I would be looking at my therapist's face and looking at her eyes and looking at, um, the symmetry of her face like it sounds terrible and it sounds like you're constantly judging other people but you are judging them against yourself mm -hmm. you are not judging yeah. them deciding whether they are whether they are pretty or or whatever you are judging it against yourself you are looking for reasons to hate yourself more so yeah so you're right there's a, there's constant triggers and i was always on the internet as well and i that really fed my obsession and it got to a point where in order to stop myself ruminating I would just go to sleep yeah because because I couldn't I couldn't deal with all the um all the stimuli um because everything reminded me of what I thought was like a glaring error with my face mm -hmm. uh, it's exhausting and I think it must be as well really challenging for you I mean now I mean you've come such a long way already but I think what the challenges are for you as well now I mean being an actor as well firstly you are already more aware of that because you want to be casted in in stage shows on tv and so you're aware of what sort of people are being casted and what they look like but oh my also, god when you are 
now self tapes have become a massive thing, especially during the pandemic. And I don't know about you, Sean, but even me, when I'm recording a self tape, you're already so critical of what you sound like, what you look like, what you're doing with your face. You're like, why am I doing that with my face? That's quite odd. Um, and so there's like this extra level of cr like criticizing yourself. Yeah, absolutely. You're so right. And you know what? Headshots are the worst as oh, well. Yeah. Like when I got my last headshots back like a year ago, I just wept because you, you, I, I'm faced with how I really look and I don't think about that so much anymore, but it's, it's obviously still, it's still a trigger for me. Like it never goes away. Like I don't constantly think about, it. I don't constantly mirror check, but but you're right. Like when I see myself on camera, when I see myself uh, um, on film, I, I, I just, I, I'm taken back to that small child in my brain that thinks that that, that there is something fundamentally wrong with my face. Um, and, and as I say, it's not so judgmental now. It's more like I just really pick up on details. Like full disclosure, when we released the little. Um, the promo vid i i've watched that a lot of times <laughs> i've watched that a lot of times and i have picked up on the way my mouth moves when i talk um again trying not to be judgmental but you can't help it like you're right like as an actor there are constant constant triggers for it and i'm very lucky in that I have come such a long way and I try not to judge it too much. And you know what, when it, when my body dysmorphia kind of rears its ugly head, I know now that that is a symptom of anxiety mm. and that is not truth. I am not looking at myself and seeing something ugly. I am looking at myself and I am, I am seeing my anxiety basically. Yeah. Um, so that's really the difference between when you're really in the thick of it and when you're recovering. It's mm -hmm. noticing those behaviours that you used to that you used to think were just part of your normal life and always would be because because of the way you look. Like I know now that it's it's not the case. It's not the how other people see me. It's it's not real. You're looking you're looking through a different lens, mm -hmm. basically, from everyone else. Um, and it's so hard to get that in your head when you are really suffering with it. Um, and I know people now who really struggle with it, and um, it's difficult because you can't say anything because anything you say, they will assume it's a lie that you're lying to them to be nice. Or you you might word something incorrectly and really trigger someone. Um, but obviously, I really empathise with that. Uh, but yeah, it's probably it's probably a really prolific thing among actors because we are forced to confront how we look yeah. every single day of our careers. Yeah, and I also think that you know I know obviously. BDD and um, 
you know, eating disorders as well, which we will come <laughs> on to, are, are prevalent in both men and women. But I think there are there is this massive misogyny still in the industry with women. And if you don't fit in these certain lines of how you should look, then you won't <laughs> be fasted. And they are slowly getting better. But I, yeah. I feel like even when I graduated drama school, so this was, you know, oh, just over a year ago, not that long ago, really. Um, mm -hmm. And even the lecturers will say things to you that you, they simply shouldn't say about how you look. And that yeah. is a reflection of what they think the industry is going to say to you. Um, and for someone, if someone had BDD and experienced, you know, some of the stuff that I was, you know, confronted with, it could be absolutely detrimental and really set you off on a bad, on a bad note. Um, absolutely. I think, yeah, I think it's, it's really hard. And I think this conversation is really prevalent right now with a yeah. lot, with a lot of celebrities in society that are, for example, taking a step back because they don't feel they meet industry standard. Um, mm. I absolutely detest. Um, so I, I know is a really important conversation to have um, right now, definitely. Yeah, um, completely. Because even though, as you say, things are getting better, we're becoming more accepting, or the media is becoming more accepting of different bodies. And, and so we may think we've got better, but you will still go on Twitter and you will see people criticising the weight of an actor in a new TV programme. And... I mean, the whole thing with Jesse Nelson, like leaving Little Mix, like that yeah. breaks my heart. And yeah. that is because people wouldn't stop commenting on her weight. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's just, it's really not fair. Like we can, we can say it's getting better, but there are still people out there who are just so, so unaccepting of people not being stick thin, like conventionally eurocentrically beautiful yeah. um what whatever that is um and uh, what you say about drama school i completely agree i feel like there are so many inappropriate things said yeah. to especially young women at drama school and i feel like what you look like and <laughs> the people who cast you what you look like at drama school really defines how you will be cast yeah it's 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 just it's how they see you and it's therefore how you will be treated as well um like i being quite young looking quite small i was i was always young roles and i was sort of infantilized mm. in some ways whereas there were other girls in my year who were definitely sexualized yeah um, and it's absolutely horrendous and some of the stories you've told me about what was said to you at drama school is absolutely horrendous like it has nothing to do with why you're there you are there to learn you are there to share your talents and it's the same with like actors on screen who get shot down on twitter for for, as I say not being stick thin they are there to share their talent yeah like that is it like it doesn't matter what they look like it's so frustrating and also when you think about I mean especially screen um, and tv you're supposed to be representing the society that you live in and I know mm. this is 
whole bigger conversation that we won't go too much into. But this is when it all comes, you know, equality, diversity, all of that needs to be brought forward because there isn't enough of that in on on tv you know like they should be representing the entire society as we know it and yet we're Absolutely. only seeing a very very minimal part of it um and even the parts we do see are somewhat kind of exaggerated like it's like when you watch these like a teen film and you think for starters they're all like 25 so they're definitely not at high school <laughs> secondly not everyone at school is that bloody attractive like let's be honest um mm-hmm. and they're not all white <laughs> yeah it's just so they're much not well turned out i was never that well turned out at school like let's be yeah. honest but i just think there is a massive problem still in with acceptance in the industry and i mean I've danced my entire life and so there's been a lot of things that I've had to face and a lot of my friends are in that same position and that have gone to dance school Mm. um, to become professional dancers and they had one of my friends there was like this this machine where she had to walk through it and if she couldn't fit through it she had to lose weight what on earth isn't that like like medieval like that just sounds ridiculous I was like, what is this? But yeah, if she couldn't fit through this gap that they had created, then she was big and she had to lose weight. And at this time she was, she was a size eight. She was about five foot eight. um, And they told her she was too big. Uh, And also that she she wouldn't be able to be lifted because she was too big. And this this is still happening all the time, Um, especially for certain parts of the industry as well. I mean, cruises can be one of the worst i think at times wow yeah especially for dancers it's it's kind of like oh okay well you're you're kind of bigger than everyone else so we're going to go for like really 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 tiny women for this and you're just you're too big you know even if size six you're pushing it it's kind of it's bad it's really really bad um yeah I, i know with chorus dancers there is an emphasis on everyone looking very similar in terms of body shape body size height like i know the rockettes like they all have to look pretty like pretty much the same size yeah Um, i just find it so bizarre like i understand that aesthetically it's it's pleasing but also you are dealing with humans you are not dealing with dolls you are not dealing with toy soldiers like like there definitely is a way of saying things. That's all I'm gonna say. There's definitely a way. I mean, half the stuff should not be said. That's just pro- no. There. But also, there is a way in which you can say it. Um, but I just think it's so interesting. I mean, um, I didn't know Sean until yesterday that Billie Eilish suffers with BDD. Mm. I know she suffers. No, apparently she suffers with other mental health. Um, problems as well and as you mentioned earlier there is obviously a massive link they all kind of connect um uh-huh. with that but hers so hers was an external thing that kind of set her off so hers was when she was dancing when she was a lot younger and she mm. realized she was the biggest person in her t- dance crew um, yeah. and she felt really uncomfortable in what she had to wear i mean Going back into when I was doing dance exams, everything was very, very tight. It wasn't, there wasn't a lot that was covering you. Um, and we all know that like Billie Eilish now and the clothes that she wears, everything is really oversized um, and baggy, which has become her thing, hasn't it? That's become her, 
what we all recognize her by. But it was interesting that she said that was the, the defining moment for her when she realized she felt like the biggest person in, yeah. in that dance routine. And that for her, yeah. People still think it's their business to comment on her weight though and comment on her figure. Like she gets so many, com- I'm really not surprised that she suffers with it because she gets so many comments. Yeah. Um, and she's so young. Like how is how do people think that's acceptable? I I don't know. Um, yeah, I think there is a lot of people that are in, you know, the public eye that probably do suffer from it. Um, there's another there's another um, celebrity that I read about. She was a um, I think she was an editor for a style magazine, and she also right. suffered from it as well. And I feel like it's people that are putting themselves out there. Um, and it's just so much easier for you to be judged when you are kind of putting yourself out there, you know, yeah. um, for everyone to see. And um, I, I wonder if they realise that they are suffering from it because it's so normalised for people to be, for like celebrities to be scrutinised in the media. It's, it's such a normal thing. So if you start scrutinising yourself, like you may, you may start thinking, how is that different from everyone else scrutinising me? And I think it is really interesting kind of defining the difference. I know we've spoken about this before, Sean, but like defining the difference between having an insecurity and having yeah. CDD. And I think that is really significant. And also um, the difference between BDD and, um, and eating disorders as well. Because I, yeah. I read that most people that have an eating disorder have BDD but not everyone that has BDD has an eating disorder. Yeah, 100%. I remember when you first told me about your BDD, I just assumed it was to do with weight because that, that was my preconception of what it was. Sure. Because yeah, only yeah, yeah. you mentioned, I was like, oh, okay, I should probably look this up and research it. And I didn't realize, but I found that really interesting. The, yeah. yeah the differences and they, they are they are very related but it is different in that with bdd it's all about specific detail mm-hmm. um and i i can't i can't speak much on um um disordered eating but um i i didn't even i didn't think about my weight it wasn't something that i thought about it was just like exclusively my face mm-hmm. um, because I say it's very detail oriented and you you can't it's not something that you can ever hope to change unless you get like plastic surgery or um cosmetic surgery um and you know what like- oh, very well um Sean I find it really really quite sad actually that under when you look up BDD under treatment that is one of the things is plastic surgery. And I think, yeah, I don't know because I, I, I personally, I think that's just really sad that, I mean, obviously if it's really detrimental and people is really impacting people, then if that's an option, then that's great for them. But I just, mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like that's something that even if that changes, do you think that still inside you, there mm-hmm. might is then something else that you'll go. Yeah you'll start obsessing about something else and you'll be like, actually, yeah. I'm not happy with that. And then when, where does it stop? You know, there's absolutely the risk of that. Yeah. To be completely candid, like I have 
imagined myself having plastic surgery. I I don't like my nose. Um, so if I were to have some kind of surgery, it would be probably on my nose. Um, but you're right. Like, I don't know if whether I did that, whether it would change anything. Mm-hmm. It would change the way I think about myself. I'm, you're right. I might find something new or even worse. It, it could get worse. Yeah. It might really change the way I look at my face for the worse. Um, so I think it's very risky. Like, I, I agree that maybe in some cases it would it would give someone a better quality of life. But I think when it's at the level of body dysmorphia, you've really got to look at the inside before you look at the outside. Yeah. Because that's that's where everything lies. It's it's all about the insecurity inside you. It's all about the distortions mm-hmm. which yeah. affect the the, the the distortions that come from within you that affect the way you see yourself. And it's quite often not about not about the feature that you're focusing on. Like quite often if like the thing with my nose is I have a tiny, tiny bump. I have a teeny tiny bump. To me, that is glaringly obvious, but I know to everyone else it isn't. Like I know that. So I know that that is something I need to sort out and that that can only start with therapy. Yeah. That is not going to be solved with surgery because it is about the way I feel about myself. Um, also, I want, really want to circle back to what you said about everyone having an insecurity because I know there are a lot of people who would say that everyone to a certain extent has body dysmorphia. Mm-hmm. And I, I see why people say that. I understand why people say that. But to me, as someone who has been through it and someone who has been at rock bottom with that disorder, it feels minimizing to say that everyone suffers with it. And I agree that you can suffer to certain extents and you can be recovered, like recovering like I am, um, or you can be on the cusp of it. But to suggest that an insecurity um, is the same as body dysmorphia is to me not correct because for me body dysmorphia is about distortion mm-hmm. and that is not that is not an insecurity like it's it's debilitating it takes over your life it takes over your energy it takes up your time so I would say if there is something about you that you are obsessing over and it is taking over your life seek help for it but it's it's just not the same to me it's not the same and I understand as I say I understand why people say things like that because we are living in a world which is so driven by looks like looks are a currency and that is so much pressure but when you've seen rock bottom because of body dysmorphia you struggle to accept that someone disliking something about themselves is the same as body dysmorphia Mm -hmm. yeah yeah because it kind of it kind of makes you feel by everyone saying oh everyone suffers to some extent with body dysmorphia you're right it does minimalize everything you've been through and kind Mm -hmm. of makes you feel like you've made a bigger deal out of something that is a very normal thing and i don't think it is 
a normal thing and that everyone experiences that. I just think that because of, you know, external, so because of, for example, social media, that there might become more cases of it. I think it's only natural, like the more we are exposed to social media, the more we are exposed to face altering filters, yeah. things like that. The, the more cases there are going to be, like it's only natural because that is a trigger. That yeah. is a trigger for someone who is maybe genetically predisposed to have body dysmorphia. Yeah. Um, but as I said, I don't think it's the same as having, having an insecurity because again, that is natural. But I want to emphasize the thing about BDD is about how you feel inside. Yeah. And thoughts the way you look at yourself. Mm-hmm. And that needs proper treatment. So in your recovery, or oh, I know you're, you're still in that process, but what mm-hmm. was the first thing that you did to try and help yourself? Um, I think the best thing I did for myself, because honestly, I was, I was in such a low place. It's getting out and trying new things. And that is, that is so hard. It's very hard. Like, it's not something that happens magically overnight. Um, I mean, actually, no, to track back, I think first it's great to have a diagnosis. It's Mm -hmm. great to have your anxiety validated. And, like, it shouldn't have to be validated, but I think it is helpful. I found it helpful anyway. Getting treatment and talking about it and having it taken seriously and being around someone who knows how to talk constructively mm-hmm. about it. Um, but as I say, I think I just got to a point where I had to say to myself, if you really want to change your life, if you really want to change how you feel about yourself, you've got to find something else to put your energy on. And <laughs> I feel so unhelpful saying that because that is so hard when you are anxious when you are depressed but I personally this is this is just my experience I just got to breaking point where I thought it's do or die I've got to do something Mm -hmm. and that's that's when I started acting I joined a drama group and and it, it, it is a distraction you do need distraction and I mean, if, if I were recommending something now to someone who thinks they're suffering, I would say probably take a social media break because that will, that will remove maybe like 50% of the stimuli that is going to trigger your symptoms or trigger your anxiety. Um, it wasn't so, it wasn't so, um, Instagram heavy back then. Um, but I, my thing was, I searched for pictures. I searched for pictures of like supermodels, etc. Um, so I had to really stop myself from doing that. Um, yeah, it's hard. I think, I think it's, I think treatment is so important. Like therapy is so important because you need someone who can, um, legitimize the way you're feeling and reassure you that you're not just being vain and you're not just being silly that it's actually something that's that's not wired very well in your head and I think that is the first step to accepting that it's just the way you see yourself and it's not the way the world sees you 
And I think that is the most important thing when it comes to recovery, because that is what I hold in my head now whenever I feel myself slipping back into those, into that headspace. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that it's not what you're thinking is not the truth. It's really not easy. And it's, as I say, it's not something that happens overnight. Like this is years ago that I was more than 10 years ago that I was dealing with this and it's still it still raises its ugly head like when I'm not feeling mentally great I will start looking at my face I will know things on my face but I know that's because I'm not feeling great and that is a really important thing to hold in your head um but no you're right it's 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 difficult but you can only start by seeing a professional and recognizing that it is something treatable and it's it's not truth it's not truth you've really got to you've really got to keep that in your head um when you are feeling um those anxieties um rise up something interesting i discovered in my research Mm because i i obviously had to refresh my memory because like it's not something to think about often anymore Mm -hmm. um but it, it affects how you read facial expressions, they've discovered. Um, yeah, because as it, again, it's, it's, it's how you process detail. Mm. And there is something that's wired in your brain as a person with body dysmorphia where you really try to decipher detail out of not very much. So they basically did a test where they showed BDD sufferers a face where the um some of the details were blurred out and the left side of their brains which is all about deciphering detail lit up whereas people who didn't suffer from bdd it it just didn't bother because the it was blurry it was a blurry picture but as a person with bdd you will hone in on extra detail that isn't there and i don't know how that relates to deciphering a person's mood from their face but we definitely read faces differently um yeah yeah that's so interesting I didn't know that yeah I mean it it makes it makes sense especially if you're so you're a socially anxious person naturally um and when you're anxious anyway like you say you read into so much yeah so if you're a person who has body dysmorphia and you look at detail in a different way to everyone else, then you, you are bound to see things that are not necessarily there. Yeah. Um, and in uh, someone with BDD's case, it will be this person thinks I'm hideously ugly. Mm. Uh, whereas this person's probably thinking about their breakfast or something like that. Yeah. So if you had to give some solid advice to someone that was at the beginning of their journey and struggling what would yeah. you say i would say you're not alone you're not um vain you are absolutely not vain no matter what anyone says because you spend spend hours looking in the mirror you're not crazy this is something to do with the way you feel about yourself inside this isn't about how you look Mm. And I know you don't believe me, but you you can you can sort this out. You can get treatment for this. I I know that you might feel scared about going to the GP and talking about it, but it's a really important first step 
to you feeling better about yourself um if if something i mean some people are really worried about going outside um so i would say if possible maybe if you don't feel comfortable going to see the doctor maybe call up call a doctor up um but my solid advice would be reach out to someone because it can be treated i i, I just promise you that it's not it's not about the detail that you're looking at. It's, it's about how you feel inside. And once you start realising that, I promise it gets better and you will live a normal life again. I think that's a really good, solid advice there. Mm. And it's really nice, Sean, to hear it from you as someone that is kind of hopefully coming to that other side of your journey, you know? Yeah. Really, I feel really inspired to be sat here and actually talking with you and see how far you've actually come I think it's really inspiring and I hope that it will help someone listening to this and thinking oh god yeah I didn't realize maybe I should speak to someone about that 10 years ago if you told me I'd done all that I'd done now I would have told you you were crazy so I do believe anything is possible at this point and anyone listening to this who is struggling, it is possible. It is possible to get better. It is possible to keep going. Um, and I'm still, I'm still on that journey, and I'm still, I'm still learning how to talk to myself in a better way because that is the key, really. It's about your self-talk, and it's about not beating yourself down about feeling bad. Um, and that becoming a vicious circle. And yeah, I, I, I still work on it. I still slip up with myself. I still talk to myself unkindly. But it's, it's possible. It's possible to have those good days and it's possible to move forward and function. Like I, I, didn't, I didn't used to function at all. I wasn't a functioning human being. Like I couldn't do anything. I, I didn't leave the house. I remember I wore a hat for a long time because I just didn't want anyone to see my face. And I spent a lot of the day sleeping, um, which is a natural reaction for me to anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, I couldn't travel by myself. I couldn't do anything by myself. Um, and I never, I absolutely dreamed of independence and I couldn't ever imagine myself being independent. And I live on my own in London now. Like, I didn't think that would ever be possible. And it is. And moving forward now I try and keep that in mind whenever I'm not feeling great I just remember at one point you didn't think what you're doing now would be possible yeah. and that really spurs me on to whatever the next step in my journey will be I think we're gonna leave it on that note because that was a banging note to finish this episode on so we're gonna end it there and okay. I want to say a massive thank you to our wonderful guest, Sean Maxwell. This has been the fourth episode of the Having a Mouthful podcast. And we have been talking about forgiving the demons and nurturing the inner child.